You know, Monday I was, maybe you're similar to me, I, I uh, came into work and uh, was meeting with other people and having meetings, and on this particular Monday I was meeting with uh, several other pastors in our network, praying together, encouraging each other, discussing a very important topic, just the issue of, of racism, discussing it. It was a good and helpful, edifying discussion as we just talked about those really important issues. And then as, you know, the news has gone forward and more information has, was coming out, things began to escalate. You know, for me, by Thursday, I was going to have a, a dentist appointment. I hadn't had, I'd put it off for three years. I mean, some of you put it off for 10 years. I don't know. Three years is kind of a bad confession. So for what it's worth, go to a dentist. But when I drove to the dentist, which was a couple cities over, and as news was coming out, I began to wonder about my decision to go with my wife to the dentist. Like, are people going to be doing things a little differently? Are people going to um, possibly um, panic in ways that maybe they should not and, and so forth? And, and if you're like me, maybe even started to feel a little, a little anxiety and fear. I heard, uh, as probably you did, or heard our California governor talk about just the amount of people that should or shouldn't gather. I thought, man, this is serious. And then heard the president, um, along with a lot of other professionals, talking about what's going to happen, and, and the president giving the president of the United States giving giving the executive order that of a state of emergency, and the meaning of that, which was to remove some red tape so professionals can do the work they needed to do, which was a great gift from God. And things got more and more real, didn't they? And then by Friday, um, I am on a Zoom call, thank God for technology, with a number, lots of different pastors, like I don't know, 60, 80 other pastors, and we're working, we're talking through some of our particular plans, talking through those, those issues of how to communicate to our people, et cetera, et cetera. Things just kept going like this, as they were, they have gone for you. And possibly fears had entered your hearts and ours. Um, what's going to happen next? But there's a lot of fear and anxiety in the culture, and uh, the evidence of that, one of the first evidences of that in our context is you see this growing concern for toilet paper. As I entered the store, just thinking, oh, I need a few supplies. Hadn't given it much, I mean, had given it some thought. I mean, don't want to take everything serious, not overreact, but also take things seriously as, as we should. Um, go into stores and start noticing that the entire aisles that are, have the paper goods are like totally empty. And it's continued to this point. We start to ask ourselves, how in the world should we respond to this type of fear? How in the world does God want his people to respond to days like this? Our governing authorities, which God has given us, has given us uh, um, parameters and advice, which they ought, they ought to. It's a great gift of God. And as a, res as a result, result of everything going on and fears and sickness and so forth, people have responded a lot, um, in a lot of different ways. And a lot of it has been with anxiety and fear and so forth. Selfishness and self-centeredness will and has been creeping out more and more. 
As sometimes people maybe fight over things like toilet paper or chocolate or whatever. How should we, as the people of God, respond to this? In God's providence, where we are in the Word of God, as we have been going through the Gospel of Matthew, we will see the answer to this question. We will see how Jesus deals with this question. How should God's people respond in a time of fear and anxiety? How should they think? How should they act? How should they respond? Let's look to Matthew chapter 26 to see the answer. Matthew chapter 26. Matthew chapter 26, beginning in verse 36. We're going to unpack the text together this morning. What I'd like to do first is to read the scriptures for you so you can hear it in its entirety. It's a little lengthy this morning, but then after that, I will explain it. Would you stand for the reading of God's word? In Matthew chapter 26, verse 36. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if, it's pos- if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, for a second time, he went away and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And again, he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, Sleep and take your rest later on. See, the hour's at hand. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. While he was still speaking, Judas came one of the twelve, and with him a great crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the elders of the people. And the betrayer had given them a sign, saying, The one I will kiss is the man. Seize him. And he came up to Jesus at once and said, Greetings, Rabbi. And he kissed him. Jesus said to him, Friend, do what you came to do. Then they came up and laid hands on Jesus and seized him. And behold, one of those who were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. Then Jesus said to him, put your sword back into its place. For all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Do you think that I cannot appeal to my father And he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? But how then should the scriptures be fulfilled, that it must be so? At that hour, Jesus said to the crowds, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day, I sat in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me. 
But all this has taken place that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples left him and fled. Please have a seat. The word of God, brothers and sisters. The word of God. So how are we to respond to all of this anxiety and stress? And, and I'm certainly not saying not to be wise. You should be wise and make plans accordingly, as you should. I'm not saying that you should be foolish. We are, should not be foolish. We should take um, this particular issue, this coronavirus, very seriously. We should listen to the governing authorities, and, and as we, as the eldership and, and our team uh, continues to w- be watchful of information that comes, we will do our best to, to instruct you and plan accordingly and respond accord, according to what we believe Scripture says and uh, how we are to submit to the governing authorities as the Word of God commands us to. That being said, how do we deal with this issue? How does Jesus want his people to respond to things that are so stressful and so difficult? Jesus is coming to a setting where he goes to a place that is very familiar for the disciples. It's called Gethsemane. When you read the other Gospels, what you find out, it is a place that they had frequented. It's a place they had been to before. They knew about it. And that meant that Judas knew where they were going to be. It's a familiar place. It's a place that they probably gathered to do such things like this and come and pray together. Jesus, going there, he's going to bring a smaller group with him, and he says this, sit here while I go over there and pray. And he brings along just a very small group of them, a very small inner circle. It says Peter and the sons of Zebedee, which would have been James and John. Now look what happens to him. The scriptures say that he began to be very sorrowful and troubled. Why? Why is he so sorrowful? And why is he so troubled? What is Jesus pondering that is troubling him so much to the point that he would be sorrowful? Now let's look into what the scriptures say about his sorrow and how he responds to it initially. I want want us to observe a couple of things. Notice that he's extremely troubled, he's extremely sorrowful, and that he is... At the point, he says, his soul is at the very point of death. So it's very extreme. It's, there's a lot of weight. There's a lot of pressure. He's at the point of death. He's under tremendous stress. Now, when you read the other Gospels, it's, well, I should just point out, I believe it's, it's in Luke, and not the others. There's one place in Luke, where the description is that of Jesus sweating drops of blood. Now, there's discussion about what that is, whether it's drops of blood or actual his capillaries bursting and and blood dripping from him. I tend to think that when you read that in the other gospel, that what we see is Jesus under such strain, such sorrow to the point of death, such stress, stress stress is that he is sweating droplets of blood. And I'm going to give you an example this is not a human example, because I haven't seen this taking place. I've read about examples of this taking place, but I, I heard this from a minister talking about this who worked in a zoo many, many years ago. When he worked in the zoo, he saw an animal under tremendous stress, and it was a rhinoceros. It was a rhinoceros they were going to move from one place to another place. Now, moving this particular animal, what that meant was they were going to put it in some sort of cart. Now, I don't know if you know this, but rhinoceroses are very large, and they're not, probably not going to respond to, like, you know, go over there or whatever. They ain't going to do what you say. I don't know. 
Maybe they are like little puppies. I don't know, but I'm, I'm, not a, I'm not a zookeeper. But apparently to move it, they would get it inside a container, and then they're going to put it in the air and place it into another place on the zoo. Now, during that move, apparently the door had swung open. Now, uh, these animals are very large and heavy, extremely heavy, a couple thousand pounds or so. When the rhinoceros saw that he was above the ground, he became very stressed. The zoo people were terrified as they watched their animal, that they, this beloved animal for the zoo, like be in incredible danger because they're so heavy. If it's to fall out, even at a short distance, I mean, it's not going to be, it's, he's just going to break. He's going to break. He's so heavy. As the animal notices how high he is, he begins to sweat. And what happens is while they're observing the animal, it becomes pinkish, it becomes pink. And essentially what happens is the capillaries on, the, on, the, on his skin, on his epidermis, his skin, were bursting blood and begin to sweat blood. I say that to say that Jesus was under immense stress. He says it with his own words. He says, my soul is very sorrowful in verse 38. You see that. Even to death. And he tells them to stay and watch with me. And going a little further, notice another thing that happens is that he falls on his face. Now, I don't know about you, but when you are really desperate for God, haven't you got on your face? If you haven't, I, I really recommend that you do. Like, go, get on the floor, the most humble place you can go, a place of a servant, and plead with God. Jesus is on his face before the Father praying. I'm still asking the question, what is Jesus wrestling with? What is he so sorrowful for? And what Jesus is so far, sorrowful for is the wrath of God. Listen to what it says. My father, in verse 39, if it is possible, let not, excuse me, nevertheless, pardon me, father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, is what Jesus prays. If it is possible, let this cup pass from me. What is Jesus talking about when he talks about this cup? As you study and look at the Old Testament references, it's all over the place. When the scriptures talk about the cup, it often is talking about the cup of wrath. What Jesus is in the garden anticipating is not just the arrest. It's not just the betrayal. It is the very wrath of God that he is anticipating. Jesus is anticipating the cross. Jesus is anticipating the wrath of God. Now, I don't know if you've ever pondered the wrath of God. I don't know if you have ever sat in fear or concern about the wrath of God. But this is coming from someone who could fully grasp what the wrath of God is, the Son of Man, like no other human being. And Jesus is praying to the Father, by the way, do you notice this is someone, this is the Son of Man, this is the Son of God praying, and he is experiencing a prayer not being answered? Do you think Jesus knows what it's like for a prayer not to be answered? The answer is yes. Jesus prays, but then something shifts in his prayer. Now let me go back to the original question. How are we to respond, how are we to think in regards to fear and anxieties and all these different things in our present age? And I think 
The scriptures are very clear. The way we are to respond, the way we are to think, the way we are to react is to say, with Jesus, not my will, but your will be done. Listen to what the scriptures say. My Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. And then he says, nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Not as I will, but as you will, Lord. This is the place that we must come to as the people of God in all things. How are we to deal with? How are we to think about? How are we to react to the coronavirus or earthquakes or death or any loss of any kind? I think we go on our faces and we plead with God. We say, Lord, and we plead for healing, for rescue. We apply wisdom and, and everything, everything that God gives us to utilize. We utilize our intellect. We strategize. Whatever means God gives us. And at the, simultaneously, what we do is we submit ourselves to God and say, you know what, Lord? But not my will, but your will be done. Because I trust you above all and not me. I trust you, Lord. This is what Jesus wants his people to do. This is what Jesus wants for us during coronavirus or any virus or any sickness or any plague or any national struggle or any interpersonal problem. Whatever the issue is, we plead, we strategize, we ask God and we pray and we ask unselfishly, Lord, I know that I ask selfishly, but Lord, I want this for your glory And at the end, we say, Lord, not my will be done, but yours. That's how we are to respond. Now, if we buy into this, there are certain things that happen to us, people of God. There are certain things that Jesus is asking of his disciples in this moment that they are really struggling with. In fact, as we look at the passage and we listen to it read, we see how they react. We see how often we react to all certain issues of life. We react selfishly. We react with laziness. We react with a lack of trust in God. We react with a, a lack in belief in what God says. We react without a, a, with a lack of prayer and seeking God. That's typically how we react. One of the first things that Jesus says, so number one, we need to, the way we need to respond to all anxieties and all fears is to say, not my will be done, but your will be done. Number, number two, what we need to do is to stay awake. So if we're submitting to that, something's going to happen, and we will stay awake. Let me, let me show you what I mean. When Jesus gathers this very small, intimate group of disciples together, he has the three. These are his closest. And look, you see Peter in there, right? He says, he tells them, hey, look, I, I, I'm in my, my greatest need right now. I'm anticipating the wrath of God, brothers. Do you understand? I need you right now. I need you just to, to stay and watch. But what happens? In verse 40, and he came to the disciples and he found them, what? Sleeping. They were sleeping. Now, this doesn't happen just once or twice, 
but it's three times. And isn't that our story, if we're just honest? Isn't that our story? You know, on, on one hand, we need to acknowledge it, and on the other hand, we shouldn't be so sorrowful that we, we f- just are crushed, because there's good news at the end of it. But that being said, let's ponder that for a few moments. If Jesus is, first of all, showing us, hey, look, think of all these things in terms of your will be done, O Lord, and not mine. And secondly, look, if you do this, and if you trust in my word, if you trust me, just stay awake. Watch. But we are sleeping. You know, I... um, the virus that has been global and uh, nationally, of course, it's, it's global. It's, it's, nas- it's local, it's national, it's global. Everyone's aware of it. There's a helpful thing happening in the midst of this. And that is that we are beginning to see, hopefully by God's grace, how sleepy we are. You see, it started with certain things being canceled like baseball and basketball, and people wondering, what on earth are we going to do? We are so asleep that we do not take time for God or to give thanks to him, the one who gives us all things, the very air we breathe, God gives us that. Any gifting at all is from the Lord, Any finances at all is from the Lord. Any food at all is from the Lord. What we deserve is God's wrath, and yet he gives us all kinds of goodness all the time, and we are asleep. Can I I talk as a pastor for a moment? You know, during this time, we are, you know, certainly um, we understand along with other pastors and ministries, you know, that we're, you know, to labor toward going online. And one of my concerns as a pastor is I, I think of all um, of those folks out there. And first of all, they need to hear me say, look, come and feast on Jesus. And even if it's from home, but there's a lot of sleepiness in the church, nationally and globally. There's a lot of Christians that they don't, they don't, they don't show up to their local body. They don't pray for their local body. They don't give. They don't serve. They're not in community. And when it all is going chaotic and terrible, I mean, draw near to Jesus. But what we need to hear is, man, you have been sleepy. That, that's what we got to tell our fellow brothers and sisters. Why are you sleeping? You, you know what Jesus says about that? No, notice what Jesus says later about the sleepiness. He says, um, he, he comes and he tells them, like, hey, look, 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 to the third time, what's going on? And in verse 45, then he came to the disciples and said to them, sleep and take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. You know, like, like don't expect us to coddle each other's sin. This is not a time to coddle our sin. This is a time to repent of pornography and whatever else comes out of whatever. Our laziness, our gluttony, our our hatred for our neighbor, our racism. I mean, the list goes on and on and on among the people of God. And the wrath of God is coming, but it has come 
and been poured out on Christ Jesus. Did you know that today? You see, Jesus, the one who could totally grasp what was coming, understood that he was going to drink, drink a cup that none of us could drink. God forbid any soul bear. But the thing is, if Christ didn't pay for you, you will pay eternally. It's real. It's not something to mess around with. The wrath of God is real. The wrath of God is hot. The wrath of God is just. And we all deserve that justice. And yet, through Christ Jesus, who took on that cup for us, we are cleansed and our shame is, our shame is gone. He took our place. Do you know that today? Remember that today. No matter what comes your way. So number one, we need to say along with Jesus, Jesus, not my will be done, but your will be done. Number two, we need to stay awake and alert. And Matthew has been ringing that bell over and over again. Behold, the king of kings is here. His kingdom is coming. He is the Lord. Stay awake and be ready. You don't know when he will return because he will return. So live as though he will return. Number three, we need to trust in the strength of the Lord and not our own strength. Now, I don't know about you, but I tend to lean on my own strength a whole lot. Now, look what happens. We see quite a, quite a lot of things going on in the next portion, starting with verse 47 and so on. And that is that there are, the disciples care deeply for Jesus. They love him. And you know what? When people are afraid, they do really weird stuff. They buy all kinds of toilet paper off the shelves, and they start buying all the meat. They do really weird, and they'll even get violent, and they shouldn't. They need to repent of that. But I'll, I want you to see what happens in this te- his text. Some of his, Jesus' closest followers, one of them in particular, gets, gets violent. Now, you, when you read the Gospel of John, what you see is that um, the person that is highlighted here in Matthew, who is not mentioned, because Matthew is driving home a point here, but the person that actually gets violent— it's Peter. It's Peter. So, so listen to the text. It says, uh, while he was still speaking, in verse 47, Judas came up, one of the, the twelve, and with him a great crowd with swords and clubs. They come for business, right? With the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had given them a sign saying, the one I will kiss is the man uh, sees him. Now it's very hard to wrap our minds around this setting because we have things like social media. You see, this isn't a day when perhaps the people that are, we're, we're hearing about here maybe didn't even know what Jesus looked like. Why do we assume that they know what he looked like? Some of them perhaps did. Uh, but others, there's, like what are there? Are there drawings? Is there Instagram and Facebook, you know, showing like Jesus showing up at the temple over here? Like none of that's going on. Gee, it's, it's a dark setting. It's not like, you know, the Garden of Gethsemane is like just lit up. In fact, when you read other texts, you see the other scriptures, you see they, like they came with something to, to see. It's dark. How are they going to identify him? Judas is going to identify him. I want you to see something about the insult, the last insult that Judas does. Now, look, I'm going to tell you as I, as I read what happens here and tell you what happens, I want to sh- explain that there's something that scholars point out here. It's not in the text. It's a, it's a cultural thing that happens. And that is, I want you to see how Jesus, excuse me, how Judas approaches him. And I'm going to address how a scholar talks about that. Because it's something we don't see. So we don't see in the text, 
but it can be argued that there's something that takes place in culture. I just want, to see, I want you to see it. I want you to see the insult of Judas, which is very clear if you just point out the fact that he betrays him. But listen to the text, and then I'll explain what's going on. Now, the betrayer had given them a sign saying, the one I will kiss is him, sees him. And he came up to Jesus at once and said, greetings, rabbi, and he kissed him. Now, this is hard for us to see, but this is something that uh, Matthew's audience would understand. Now, I'm going to read from one particular scholar who says something about this. It is possible that we should see more than a greeting here by Judas, as he was talking about. He says, um, it is cited for the information that in any group of a teacher and disciples, the disciple was never permitted to greet his teacher first. Since this implied, are you ready? Equality. An implied equality. Judas' sign, therefore, was not only a final repudiation of his relationship with Jesus and a signal to the mob, but also a studied insult. But look how Jesus responds to him. Jesus says in verse 50, friend, do what you came to do. I've got to just confess, that's not the way I react to my enemy. Can you, can you observe with me that Jesus, under all the weight of this pressure of anticipating the cup of wrath of the Father on the cross and the betrayal of one of his few and the cross to come is poised and even kind to his enemy? It's absolutely profound. And then look what happens next. Now, what I'm saying is, number three, not only do we need to say, not my will, but your will be done. Number two, we need to be awake and alert. But number three, we need to trust in the strength of the Lord and not our own strength. And we are oh so tempted to do all things in our own strength. Now, look how it comes out. Then they came up and laid hands on Jesus and seized him in verse 51. And behold, one of those who were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. It's a very dangerous thing to do. To cut off the, to cut into like a ruler or someone with authority, has authority to like imprison or have you killed or whatever and harm, bring harm to them. Now, those that have done some study on this, I find it very fascinating. We typically would probably envision like a sword. You probably envision like a sword, but it would probably in our minds be more like a dagger. What I, what I want you to envision here, that the, this, all this, when this happens, this is a very violent act. Whether it's this or this, it's extremely violent. Now, when, when Peter stretched out to strike this individual, I do not suspect that he was aiming for his ear. Do you? I think this was a death blow, a violent blow to his head, and the guy flinched. I don't know. Perhaps. Cuts off his ear. We typically, typically think, like, wow, what precision. That's not what he's doing. It is, it is a death blow that got missed. But Jesus does something amazing. Now, what should happen to Peter? Imprisoned, taken, the disciples arrested. I mean, it's going to be chaos. Jesus does this. He said to him, he, re- he rebukes him, and he's going to rebuke the crowd, but he rebukes him. He says, Put your sword back. Put your sword back in its place. 
For all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Those of violence will die by violence. That's typically how it's going to go down. Do you think that I cannot appeal to my father and he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? Now, a legion is like over 2,000 people. And he's talking about a lot. What Jesus is saying is that any human attempt that you have compared to what God can do looks like a third grade pillow fight, so stop it. It's a third grade pillow fight or worse. Do you think that I cannot appeal to my Father and he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? But how then should the scriptures be fulfilled? Oh, backing up. I totally missed the text here. And behold, verse 51. One of those who were with Jesus, he stretched out his hand and he drew his sword and he struck the servant on the priest's of his ear. Then he said to his servant, put your sword back into his place for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Do you think that I cannot appeal by my, to my father and he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? But how then should the scriptures be fulfilled? At that hour, Jesus rebuked the crowds. Have you come out against to rob me? Let me pause for a second. Jesus heals this man, and we see that in the scriptures. Like, it, it ends anything that should happen to Peter is what I really want to just say to you for a moment. Isn't that, it's the most bizarre, fascinating thing that takes place. Peter strikes him, and he's, he's guilty of something. He's re, he gets a rebuke. Jesus heals the man. There's no arrest that's going to take place. None. It's gone. This shows me a picture of what's about to happen on the cross. Now look, they want to trust in their own strength, but Jesus is saying, trust in the strength of God. Number four and lastly, not only do we need to seek out God's will, not only do we need to be awake and alert, not only do we need to trust in the strength of the Lord, but lastly and fourthly, what we need to do is we need to trust in the authority of the scriptures. Notice what Jesus says about the scriptures. When he is rebuking Peter, and he tells him that he can bring this legion, notice what he says in verse 54. He says, but how then should the scriptures be fulfilled that it must be so? What Jesus is saying is that the scriptures will be fulfilled. They have been fulfilled. In fact, we're going to see a continuation of the fulfillment of scriptures with them fleeing. In fact, the verses earlier in the passage, Jesus said, look, you're all going to leave me. And that's what's going to happen. At that very hour, Jesus, he said to the crowds, have you come with, with we to ro- like a robber with swords and clubs and captured me? Day after day I sat in the temple teaching you, and you did not seize me, but all this had taken place that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. And then look what happens. Then all the disciples left him and fled. That's exactly what Jesus said was going to happen. But Jesus is pointing out two different times right here that the scriptures are going to be fulfilled. This is what we need to say to, to each other. And this is the question I have for us, that we need to trust in the authority of scriptures. And I ask you, do you trust in the authority of the scriptures? Because if you trust in the authority of the scriptures, then you will trust the words of Jesus who says, not my will, but your will. If you trust the authority of scriptures and you trust his words, then you're going to say, you know, Lord, I need to be awake. If you trust the authority of the scriptures and you trust when Jesus says, thy will be done and not mine, not only will you be awake, but you will learn to trust in the strength of God and not lean on your own strength and on your own understanding. 
because that is exactly what I tend to do. So with that said, brothers and sisters, whether it's coronavirus or it's a broken marriage or whether it's broken kids or whether it's finances that aren't working out or whether there's no toilet paper left for the next month, buy tissue paper, quick, it's softer. If you, if you trust in God and trust his scriptures, then you will stay awake. If you trust God and lean and, 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 and say, to, say his will be done and not my will be done, then you will lean on what he says and not merely on your own reason. Let's pray to our awesome God and may his will be done. Gracious Father, we come to you again and just plead for our people, your people. Lord, may we say, not my will, but your will be done, no matter what happens in our lives. May we be a people that just turn to you, Lord. May we be a people that trust in you. May we be a people who stay awake and just refuse to sleep in a culture where we are just sleeping. May we learn to recognize what is important, that your word is important, Lord, that praying to you is important, that loving our neighbor is important. Lord, help us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.